needs way more than a simple home improvement. And it's definitely not a do-it-yourself project. What would it look like to give yourself entirely to God and earnestly seek Him in every area of your life? Let God renovate and renew your heart as He makes it His home. In the 16th century, there was a powerful document that was written. Many of you know it as the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's written in 52 parts, and it's a great summary of some of the key teachings of the Bible. Now, it is not equal to the Bible. It, is, it informs the Bible. It helps us to better understand the Bible. But the Bible still stands in authority over any other document that has ever been written. One of our key values as a church is that we are rooted in Scripture, meaning that when we are looking for wisdom, when we are looking for clarity, when we are looking for understanding, when we are just living our lives and open to the work of God, it is the Bible that is our ultimate authority. But this document that's called the Heidelberg Catechism. It has been used throughout uh, the last couple hundred years to help us to understand more of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It was used to train and to equip new believers. It was used to train and equip the next generation of believers. Broken into 52 questions and answers or sections and there's one for each week of the year. Now, as we begin this series called My Heart, Christ's Home, we want to look at this first question and answer as we begin this morning. And the reason we want to do that is because it has themes that remind us that once we become a believer, a follower of Jesus, we are called to continue to live by faith as we yield and surrender to his leading in our lives. And so you'll see on the screen the first question and answer, and I want to invite you to read the answer with me as I'll read the question, and let's read the answer together, but I want you to think deeply about what it is that you're saying. So, for example, I belong, I am not my own. Now, that is radically different from what we are led to believe in our world. We believe in our world and are told in our world that I'm in control of my life. I am the king of my life. I am the queen of my life. I will decide how I will live my life. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are to yield, to surrender in order to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life. And then he leads us to that place where there is, as the Bible says in John 10, where there is pasture, where there is sustenance, where there is all that we need to live well in this world. So I want to invite you to join me. Here's the question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, do you believe that? Is that what you really believe? Do you believe that you belong to Jesus Christ? 
Do you live that way? We go on to the second slide. Speaking of Jesus, join me, please. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. He is, he knows all things. He's aware of every thought. He's aware of every motivation. He's aware of everything that you are thinking, every desire that you have. He knows that. And then we read the final one. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him wholeheartedly and with joy to live for him in every moment of every day. That's what it means that Jesus is our Lord. We're beginning a new series this morning called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it's really about making Jesus the Lord of our life, not just the one who saves us through the forgiveness of sin, but the one who then leads and guides by his spirit through his word, to direct us in the places that he's calling us to go. And we're letting him transform us. See, what happens to a lot of us is we receive Jesus and then we stop. We say, okay, I'm going to heaven. That's it. Friends, that's just the beginning. We Now we live a life that is marked by obedience to the Spirit of God through his word. And we follow him and we let him be our Lord and our Savior. And what happens is he transforms us. What the Bible teaches, as you'll see this morning, is that the moment that you choose to believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus makes his home in our hearts. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus transforms us. Now, there's a great theologian, philosopher, C.S. Lewis, who describes it this way. I want you to hear this incredible picture of what it is that happens after we come to believe and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours. Here's what he says. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But after a while, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts. It does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's building towers, making courtyards. You see, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Now, friends, let me ask you this. Do you want to be a cottage or do you want to be a palace? You see, Jesus comes to live in our hearts by faith. He comes not to just live in our hearts, but to be Lord of our hearts, to be Lord over our lives, Lord over all that we do, 
over your life at work, over your life in the home, over every decision that you make, as we're going to see in this series. And in this series, each week, we're going to look at a different area of our life, and we're going to ask, is Jesus really Lord over that area of my life? Or am I in control? Am I really the one who is leading and guiding? And I'm really the one who is really taking control over that area of my heart. I can guarantee you, everybody in this place will be challenged in these next weeks by what we're going to talk about. Because the great challenge of every disciple of Jesus, of every follower of Jesus, is to let Jesus be the Lord of our lives. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be reading from an amazing prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. I am going to read verses 14 to 21, but we're going to focus on just, just four verses, 16 through 19, but I want you to hear the whole prayer. You've probably heard me say before that this is one of my two favorite prayers in the entire Bible, this and the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, I think, is the most dangerous prayer we can ever pray, and we looked at that together as a congregation a few years ago. This prayer is asking Jesus to be Lord of our life. This prayer is asking God to give us the power, to give us the strength, to give us the passion, to give us the, the mindset that we want to belong to Jesus in everything that we do. Now the reality is, as you'll see in this prayer, that the more that we do that, the more that we submit and surrender every area of our life to Jesus, so he's the one leading and guiding, the more that we do that, the more that we are going to experience the nearness of God, the more that we are going to experience the presence of God and the love of God in our lives. This is what he says in this prayer. So listen to this prayer and make it a prayer for yourself. Now, I've shared with you before, for those that are close to me in my life and for our church, I've rewritten this so I can pray it for people. And I put the names of people in this prayer because it is so profound and so powerful. You who are parents, there is nothing more that you should want for your children than this prayer. For you who are grandparents, there's nothing more that you should want for your grandchildren than what we pray in this prayer. For every single one of us in this room, there's nothing more we should want for ourselves than what we are going to pray in this prayer, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, the Apostle Paul writes, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, its identity. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more than we've ever asked or can even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory to the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations 
forever and ever. Amen. In the book of Ephesians, just a few, just the chapter before, we read this in in verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? It means that when we were living as sinners, Jesus worked by His Spirit in our hearts that we may believe, we believe, and now we who were once far from God because of our sin, we've been forgiven, and now we are near to God. We are near to Jesus. His presence is near to us. Now, I want to ask you this morning, do you ever experience that? Or does it seem that you live your life at a distance from Christ? That's what this series is all about. That's what the prayer in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21 is about. It's about the power that we need, that we will work with God and participate with that power in such a way that Jesus will become indeed the Lord of our life so that we may experience the depth of his love and we may know the fullness of his presence. I mean, is that incredible? We should be passionate about this. So let's break this down this morning. If Christ comes to live in our hearts, what does that mean? And what is this prayer about? We're going to break it down just verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. And here's the first thing I want you to see. And that is that we would know the presence and the lordship of Christ as he lives in our hearts. Now, to know always means in the Bible to experience, to encounter, to know firsthand. It doesn't just mean knowledge, although head knowledge is part of it, but it's more than that. It's, it's experiencing and encountering this reality. We want to know the reality of the presence of Jesus in such a way that we understand his Bible. We understand by his spirit how he's applying his Bible to our lives, that we don't sense that he's at a distance, but we know that he is near to us. That's why he died on the cross, so that God may be near to us, so that not just near to us, but actually make his home within our innermost being, within our hearts, within our lives. And so we read this, we want to know the presence and the lordship. Again, lordship simply means he is Lord and I am not. He is God and I am not. He's in control and I am not. I don't want to follow my dreams and desires. I want him to shape the dreams and desires he has for my life within me. That's what I wanted for my children. Not that they would be what I wanted them to be, but that God by his spirit would shape desire and passion to become everything that God wanted them to be. And we read this. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, listen to this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, who's he speaking? He's speaking of God. I pray that out of God's riches, his abundance, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, the presence of his Holy Spirit, in your inner being. So the prayer there for Christians, he's writing to Christians, he's speaking to Christians. His prayer is that God may strengthen by his power, listen to this, he strengthen you with power 
through his spirit in your inner being. What is your inner being? Your inner being is your heart. It's your soul. It's the essence of who you are. The prayer here is that Christ may strengthen you by his spirit, by his power, coming out of the abundance of his riches. God has more than you need. And out of the abundance of his riches, he wants to empower you by his spirit in your inner being, in your soul, in your spirit, in who you really are. This is what God is saying to this church, to these Christians in the first century. This is Paul's prayer for them. For what purpose? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, let me just say something about this. Christ does come the moment that you believe to live in your heart by faith. That's not what this is about. This is about you letting Christ rule in your heart by faith. This is about letting Jesus be the king of your life, letting Jesus sit on the throne of your life. This is about letting Jesus rule and reign over every aspect of who you are, to transform you, as C.S. Lewis said, to make you not into a little cottage, but into a great palace in which he will abide, in which he will live. How do I know that? Well, it says that Christ may dwell. That word dwell, if you're a note taker, means this. It doesn't mean just to come in and be present. It means to come and settle as a family member. He's coming to settle in your life. He's coming to settle in such a way that he will lead and he will guide. He will make his home there in your heart, which is really the center in that, in that culture of decision-making. This is what it says. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He didn't say just dwell in your heart through faith. What does that mean? It means that not only did you come to, as a believer through faith in Jesus, that he died for you on the cross, but each and every day you are choosing to live by faith, which is saying, Jesus, I love you, I believe you, I will follow you. It's, it's saying, Jesus, I don't understand all these things, but I'm going to trust you with my life. I trust you with my eternity. I trust you with my life, with the day-by-day, moment-by-moment decisions that I'm going to make. So here's the prayer. God, empower. Empower your people that they may allow you to be the Lord of their hearts, the Lord of their minds, the Lord of their inner being. Here, inner being and hearts really mean the same thing. Paul has just chosen a different word to describe the same purpose. Do you see that? Here's the second thing that we see. It doesn't stop there. God's desire is that you would be rooted and established in love. He said, and I pray that you being, this, this word being means that this is something that God is doing as we allow by faith, 
We are part of that process by choosing to allow God to be King and Lord of my life. By faith, I am being rooted, I am rooted and being rooted and established in love. So as Christ makes his home in my life, I am being, he is working in my heart in such a way that I am being rooted and I am being established in love. Now that word rooted is a metaphor that comes from the agriculture world, world of the day. What does it mean? It means that you plant a tree, you plant that tree in the ground, and then its roots begin to go deep into the soil. The more rooted it is, the more established it is. The more rooted it is, the healthier it is. See, he comes and he makes his home in my heart, in my life, and then, by his love, he is rooting me in love. Some of you might remember, I think it was last year, we had those really big winds. Yeah, really big winds in the Inland Empire. Go figure. But we had those really big winds. And I remember driving down Hellman, and they had just planted all these really nice trees. And these really nice trees, as a result of the wind, were many of them just fallen. And you can see the roots, boom, right out of the ground. Why? Because the roots had not had time to go deep. They had not had time to be truly rooted. So what he's talking about here is that as we, as we surrender and submit to the leading of Scripture, to the leading by His Spirit through the Word of God, what happens is we are being rooted in love, in the love that God has for us. Our love for Him deepens. Our love for people deepens. And the second word is established. That word established has to do with construction. And it's about foundation. Now, if you know anything about construction, foundation is very, very important. I remember when my son, he was pretty independent, and we were doing a, in school, he was doing a, uh, one of those sugar cube buildings. And we weren't really paying attention. He, he's really good at doing stuff, so he was just doing his thing. And he was, I think, second or third grade, and he's getting on the bus with this thing, and I realized that he had built it on really thin construction paper. So he's getting on the bus, and this thing's just boom, boom. Why? Because the foundation wasn't firm. It wasn't solid, and it just fell apart. This is what he's saying. Established a foundation that can never be shaken. A foundation that can never be destroyed. A foundation upon which Christ can build something that is extraordinary in our lives. What is extraordinary is making us like Jesus in the way we love, in our joy, in our peace, in our patience, in our faithfulness, that we would reflect the nature of Jesus as we surrender to His leading in our lives. Galatians 2.20 says it, says it this way. 
I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In other words, the purposes of Christ are being fulfilled through me because I have surrendered completely to the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's an incredible picture. And friends, again, think of it this way. The Christian life is not about just going to heaven. That's not it. The Christian life is about knowing the presence and the lordship of Christ, living with him, living in him, empowered by him to live the life you never dreamed you could live, reflecting the nature of Jesus, perfect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control reflecting the nature of Jesus, or I'm sorry, the character of Jesus in our lives. It's extraordinary. Why would we want to be a little cottage when Jesus wants to make us into something extraordinary? It's not an easy process, though, because it means that we have to continually look at our lives and ask, am I doing this my way? Is it my desires I'm trying to fulfill? But see, what happens to many of us, we come to faith, we believe in Jesus, and we receive the presence of the Spirit. Jesus comes to live in our lives, and we just kind of live and live and live. But we live our way, and we wonder, where is God in the midst of this? Where's the the power of God? Where's the peace of God? Where's the the joy that, that we keep talking about? The problem isn't with God. The problem is with us. We're holding on and we're saying, no, my way, my way, my way. Or or we're following God and we're saying, yeah, I'll show up on Sundays and, um, you know, I'll just uh, live the rest of my life my way. That's not lordship. It's every minute of every day being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a child of God, one who says, I will follow you. And so here's the third thing, that we would know the depth of the love of Christ. He goes on to say, and I pray that you being, being that's, a, that's a word, that's an active verb, it's happening, 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 being rooted and established in love may have power. Whose power is it? It's God's power. It's not our power. It's God's power. You may have power together with all of God's holy people. Holy meaning people who have met Jesus, believe in Jesus, are being made holy. For what purpose? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. What does it mean to grasp? What does it mean? It's, it's a word that was used in the Bible to describe result. It was used, for example, that word would be used when a, an army conquered another army. It's, it's what has happened. It's the result. So what it is is that we are, Paul is praying that we would have power together with all of God's people to know, to comprehend, to encounter to know in our lives by, by experience how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
Man, I can't think of anything I would rather for the people in my life to experience than the love of Christ. What happens when we encounter the love of Christ? We no longer fear. As it says in, in John, it says that perfect love casts out all fear. We no longer fear. We no longer run and hide from who we really are. We take responsibility for ourselves. We begin to experience through a, a, a transformed identity, one that is not broken and rooted in the broken world in which we live, one that is, that is clear and clearly defined by who God says that we are. And friends, how do we experience that? We experience it as we come to know for ourselves how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for us. Well, what is the process of encountering that? He's already told us, letting Jesus be the Lord of our lives, letting Him be the one who leads and guides our lives so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. See, we're not only saved by God's grace, His good gifts, but through faith, but we are sanctified or made like Jesus by God's grace through faith. We need to continue to live that life of faith if we're going to experience the things that God has for us and to live the life that makes an impact in this world. And friends, you can do that just by choosing in this series as we go over the different areas of our lives, saying, Lord Jesus, Give, empower me in this area of my life that you may be Lord, that you may be king, that you may, may be the one who leads and guides. And then finally, we read this, that we may be filled to the fullness of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may know again Knowledge is not just head, but it's life experience, that you may know what? That you may know this love, this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I kind of had a taste of it a few days ago. Um, Beth and I were up in Sacramento visiting uh, for two days, visiting our uh, two grandsons, and one of them is 21 months and the other is four months old. Yeah, they're very precious. And the four-month-old, the four-month-old, he doesn't understand and comprehend a lot. I mean, he does, he's not even talking yet. <laughs> I, I, did you hear him say anything the whole time? No. But you know what? He knows his mama. He knows his mama. When Amy comes in, he just grins. Why? Because he knows the love of his mother. He can't tell you. He can't describe it to you. He can't explain it. It surpasses his knowledge and his ability to communicate, except with his face. Oh, mom, mama, mama. You see, mom has loved him so well that his, he just lights up when mama's in the room. Why do we not do that with God? If we know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, it should light up our world. It should light us up. 
no matter what our experiences. One of the things that strikes me about our world today is we have a huge love problem. And in the church, we have a huge love problem. I'm not saying this church, I'm saying churches in general. And that comes out of our unwillingness to let Jesus, to let the Lord, to let God Almighty sit on the throne of our lives. We replace Him. It's what I want. It's what I desire. It's what I need. And he goes on to say that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, let me be very clear here. This does not say that we become little gods. This does not say that we become God. That is not, no. God is always God. We are, he's always the creator. We are always the created. He always stands as the only one worthy of our worship. But there's this reality that when we surrender more of ourselves to Him, we experience more of Him. We are filled to the fullness of God. Let me describe it this way. Now imagine I go down to the ocean. <clears throat> I love the ocean. And I fill it up. I fill my, my little jar up with ocean water. And it's all the way to the top, so I don't want to spill it. So I put the cap back on, and I bring it home with me, and I carry it around with me. The essence of what's in there is the ocean, <clears throat> but it's not the whole ocean, right? I don't have the Pacific Ocean in here. I have just a little piece of the, I just have a little bit of the essence of the Pacific Ocean. It is extraordinary that God comes and He makes His home by the Spirit in your heart, in your inmost being. He makes His home. Now, it's not all of God, but it's the fullness of God. And the more that we surrender our lives to Him, <clears throat> the more we surrender, we will experience so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does that look like? That's what this series is all about. What we are going to do is we're going to divide the heart into different rooms of a house. This is based on a little tiny booklet that was written many years ago called My Heart, Christ's Home. And we're going to look at different areas, different rooms of your heart and my heart. And we're going to ask ourselves biblically, as we look at Scripture that speak to that area of our life, we're going to ask ourselves this question. Who is really in charge of that room? Who's really Lord over that room? Who really sits on the throne of that room? Is it Jesus? Is it me? My prayer is this prayer, and I'll be praying it every day for our church during this series, that we would come to let Jesus be the Lord of our lives, that we will submit to Him and experience being rooted and established in love, that we may experience how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and through that, that we 
that we may be filled to the, with the measure of the fullness of God. And as that happens, friends, the world is transformed. One of our values is earnestly seeking God. Do you want to earnestly seek God? Learn what it means by faith to let Him be the Lord of your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the joy and the privilege it is to, to worship You as we do this morning. And God, we confess that we struggle with this idea of letting You be Lord of our lives. We struggle with the idea of submitting to You and just surrendering these things that we hold on to so tightly. And yet it's by holding on so tightly that we rob ourselves of the things that we deeply and profoundly long for. So Lord, come and empower what we do in the weeks ahead. Strengthen us, teach us, transform us. Make us into something new, something we never imagined that we could be. And Lord, may this prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, may it become something that we begin to pray as a body, as a congregation for one another, for people that you have placed in our life that are believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, Lord, we don't want to be just satisfied that we believe and, and our sins are forgiven. We want to know what it means to follow you and experience the fullness of the fruit that comes with a life that is fully surrendered. So that we can say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me for his glory. Amen.